We've been looking at really the story of Moses and the people of Israel as they've come through and out of slavery. Context for this, that the, the nation of Israel has come uh, through the Red Sea. They've come in back to the Mount Sinai where they started off at. After 40 days, Moses has gone up into the, uh, to receive the Ten Commandments. He's gone so long that the people have concluded he's not coming back. And here's what uh, verse five, first five verses say. When the people saw how long it was to taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So, everybody shout so. Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. Then, not too long after that, Moses comes back down and all heck breaks loose. <laughs> and then Moses turns to Aaron after all that is over, says, finally he turns to Aaron and demands, What did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Don't get so upset, my Lord, Aaron replies. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow, Moses, who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire and out came the calf. <laughs> Come on, everybody say, out came the calf. <laughs> Lord bless this time. Let it be transformational, would you? In Jesus' name, so shout amen. Please be seated. <laughs> out came the cat. Nothing to do with it. Just came out. Today I want to start a conversation as we, as we keep rolling through how to reset for a new year about two heart issues. Everybody shout heart. Two heart issues that uh, can serve as lids on our personal and professional growth. One of them is our tendency to make excuses. Everybody shout excuses. It called into the cycle of excuses. excuses. The other is our tendency to need, come on, everybody say need. It's the tendency to need to be liked or loved by everyone. This, this excuse cycle that we get caught in, and the tendency, the need to want to be liked and loved by everyone can become a ceiling beyond which we cannot grow until we deal with those issues. They become a roadblock that literally keeps us from getting into the next season 
of becoming our best selves of pursuing the God-given dreams that we have been given to pursue. It, these two things can cause us to be stuck. Can you say stuck? Stuck. Stuck. For decades when God is calling us to move forward with power. Let's first deal with this, the question of excuses. There are two categories of excuses that I want to focus our attention on today. One is somewhat a review of what we looked at last weekend, and uh, it's what I want to define as, uh, it's, it's the category of, of when our excuses uh, reveal hidden fears. In other words, at the bottom of the excuse is literally a fear, and what's really driving the excuse is some fear. Now, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we've been anchored in chapter 3 of Exodus, and we looked at Moses. God encounters Moses, or Moses encountered God in the burning bush. And out of that burning bush, God says to Moses, that I have called you, verse 10, I've called you to lead the people out of Egypt, out of bondage. And in a real sense, this has been a dream that's been in Moses' heart for at least 80 years. For the first 40, the second half of his 40 years, it's part of what derailed him. He calls him to kill a man who was misusing a, a, a Hebrew. In the last 40 years, while it's been in his heart, I'm sure he's just given up on it, just concluded it cannot happen. And then all of a sudden, he has this encounter, and God says, it can happen, and I've called you to be a part of the delivery of that dream of helping to liberate my people. I've called you. And what is Moses' response? In two chapters, Moses come up with five excuses. Can you say five? Not one, not two, but five excuses why God doesn't know what he was doing, why God has picked the wrong person, why God obviously has made a mistake to pick this 80-year-old man who's in the sleep. Let's look at quickly some of them. It's the excuses. You'll recognize them. You'll remember them. Uh, in verse 11, he says, who am I to stand before Pharaoh? In other words, I'm not powerful enough, not influential enough. That's, that's my find somebody else. In verse 13, he says, uh, he says uh, what if they ask your name? I don't even know your name. In other words, I don't know enough to do the work that you're calling me to do. That's excuse number two. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, well, what if they don't believe me? What if, what if they say you never appeared to me? And I told you last week, uh, beneath that is this fear of failure. But on the surface, it's really about credibility. I don't have enough credibility to do what you've asked me to do. That's excuse number three. Excuse number four comes in verse 10 of chapter 4 when he says, I don't talk well enough. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not articulate enough. So you need to find somebody else. That's excuse number four. And then finally, he just, he just says, look, in, 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 in verse uh, 13, I love this. Finally, he just ultimately says this. He says, uh, uh, Moses again pleaded, look, Lord, you obviously don't understand what I'm trying to say. Please send anyone else but me. You, let me just make it plain. Shout excuses. And beneath those excuses, all fear. And essentially, I think there are about two overriding fears. One of them is that most of our fears kind of track back to the fear of failure. He's just scared that he will fail. How many of you 
It's your excuses that are keeping you from becoming your better selves. That's keeping you from the future that God has. And it's because of fear. I told you last week, if you were here, that there is no substantive success without failure. And so stop being afraid to fail. Embrace it as part of the experience that moves you to success. All right, well, how do I reset? Shout, reset. How do I reset if this is my reality? Number one, you need to be able to identify when you're making excuses. If, if you're, somebody asks you, how come you haven't gone back to school, and you start in on a long uh, explanation, and you hear somebody go, here we go. Ah, that's probably an excuse. Come on, always practice this. Come on, say, here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you need to be able to, I, the baby got it. You need to be able to identify yourself or if somebody points out you're making an excuse, you just need to own it and say, you know what, you're right, it's an excuse. The second thing is, um, uh, after identifying it, you need to figure out what fear is that excuse expressing? What is the fear? Last week after uh, the, the 12 noon gathering, I was really surprised a 10-year-old, right like this, came up to me. There was no mom, no dad, no aunt, no uncles. He's by himself. He walked up to me and he said, Pastor. I said, yeah, young man. He said, you preached a powerful message today. <laughs> I said, I did. He said, yes, sir. And I, I got on where you can see the fell like that. I don't say, all right. So tell me one thing that you got out of the message. He looked at me, smiled. He said, well, pastor, he said, yesterday, my, my basketball team, and we, we lost the game. He said, I just felt so terrible. He says, but today, I, I heard in the message about, about failure. And then I, I helped him summarize. And ultimately, what he was what he's saying to me, he was saying, I learned that failure is not final. It's just a place to make an adjustment. And I said, boy, give me a high five. Somebody shout, reset. Reset. Don't be afraid to fail. Just be ready to make an adjustment. Figure out what the fear is. He figured out what his fear was. And lastly, redefine the excuse as an opportunity. Talk about it differently. As opposed to saying, I'm too old. Say, I am now at an age where I can bring my wisdom and experience. As opposed to say, I'm too young. Say, because I'm young, I have the flexibility to learn and to grow and to adapt. As opposed to saying, you know, I'll just wait for the right time. And I'll and wait. You said that a year ago and five years ago. You said, I'm waiting for the right time. Finally, turning to, 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 to being able to say, there will never be a right time. Let me start now. Take the excuse. Turn it into an opportunity. Well, that's the first category of, of excuses that... Some of us find ourselves, our lives are defined by fears that drives our excuses. There's another category of excuses that, that perhaps, if I'm not in the first, perhaps we're in the second. And when I first wrote this note, I wrote this note like this. I said, it's the refusal to accept responsibility. Everybody shout, refusal. 
refuse. Now, I know you know people like that, right? You, you know children who will not accept responsibility. You, 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 you know colleagues who will not accept responsibility. You're dating some people who will not accept responsibility. Yeah, your spouse, just the person who just will not accept responsibility. Uh, 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 if, if somebody's looking at you, don't look at them, but we know we're talking about you. That's okay. But, but upon further examination, when I thought about it, if there's somebody who has a, a, a pattern of not accepting responsibility, why would somebody, you knowing it's, it's stopping you from growing, why would you not accept responsibility? And I think it is the second what I call overarching fear. That either we're driven by the fear of failure, or we're driven by what I want to call, not, not refusal, but beneath it, the fear of accepting responsibility. All right, now let's look at it in this text, okay? So Moses, chapter 4, verse 10, says, God, just get, send somebody else. So God compromises. He says, you got a brother named Aaron. He's en route. I'm going to send him with you. Aaron is going to be your mouthpiece. I'll, I'll speak to you. You speak to Aaron. Aaron will speak on your behalf. So that's what happened. They go before Pharaoh seven plagues later. Pharaoh is forced by the hand of God to release uh, 650,000 people. And they leave and the Red Sea open up. You know the story. And they go through the Red Sea. And they come into the, into the uh, wilderness and right back at Mount Sinai where God had told them a few weeks ago, you'll recall, God said to Moses, the sign that I'm with you is that you will bring the people that you'll deliver right back to the mountain where you started. And you remember I told you, begin with the end in mind. Why don't you say it with me? Begin with the end in mind. That's how you want to start focusing on your future. Begin with the end in mind. Where do you want to end up at? And so here they are. They ended up right there at Mount Sinai. And then Moses goes up to the top of the mountain, disappears in the cloud. And there God gives him Really, uh, all of the law that's needed to shape the political and religious and social life of Israel. Well, he's gone for six weeks. In the wilderness, six weeks is a long time. There's no airplanes, no cars, no, no TVs. A long time. No Apple Music, no podcasts. Routine. A long time. They concluded six weeks, 40 days, he's not coming back. And so, here comes, uh, here, 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 and, so, and so they convinced uh, my man uh, to create a calf. And then, after that, Moses shows up, all stuff breaks loose, and then look at verse 22. When he turns, Moses then turns to Aaron, who he left in charge. He says, Aaron, what's up? And Aaron says, don't get so upset, my Lord. He replies, you, you yourself know how evil these people are. <laughs> you, see, you see the excuse that he's putting the blame on somebody else. He's not assuming responsibility. Watch this, this is my favorite part. Said, Listen, let me just tell you what went down. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. Can you believe that? They said that to me, and so I, what did I do? Well, they said, we don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So, you know, I just went on and told him. I said, well, whoever has gold, jewelry, take it off. And, 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 and when they brought it to me, Moses, this is sure enough the truth. I'm telling you what happened. I threw it into the fire, and out came the cat. 
Now, as ridiculous as that explanation sounds, that's how ridiculous some of your explanation sounds when you don't assume responsibility. Just that ridiculous. So, what, 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 what I need to, how do I, how do I handle this? How do I, how do I reset? Everybody shout reset. The first reset, here it is. Make the decision that you will own your stuff first. Whenever you're in an issue, whenever something's gone wrong, not your boyfriend, not your girlfriend, not your sibling, own your stuff. Don't point out what she did. Own your stuff. Come on, shout, own my stuff first. First. Now, why would I be afraid to own my stuff? Well, let me just give you a couple reasons. For some of us, it dates back to our childhood. That we grew up in families where if you did something wrong, you would be shamed. And your life would be, you'd be full of shame. And so even as adults, you are afraid to assume responsibility because you're afraid of being shamed. So you, you don't assume responsibility. Uh, here's another example. Uh, for, for some of us, uh, as we grew up somewhere along the line, somebody told us, you'll never, be, you'll never mount to anything of substance. Now, even though we've gotten good jobs, we're doing well, we're married, deep down inside, we still kind of believe that. And so whenever we do something wrong, we're afraid if I assume the responsibility, I am, in fact, acknowledging I never really amounted to anything. I'm just pretending to be better than what I really am. Here's another example. For, for some of us grew up in homes where it was the sister who messed up, the brother who messed up, but me, you see, me, myself. and I was the one who made daddy proud. I was the one who made mama smile. And, and, and it's not that I didn't mess up. I just didn't mess up as bad as the sister and the brother did. And I did do some mess up, but they didn't really know about the mess up that I did. Come on now. Uh, uh, and, and, so, and, so, and so I've got this veneer of perfection. You've never used the term, but that's what the veneer is. And so you are afraid as an adult, watch this, that when you mess up, you're afraid of how you're going to look through the eyes of somebody who admire you. You're afraid. This is Aaron's situation, I believe. Was Aaron afraid of God? Probably. But I think he was more afraid of Moses. Not that Moses was going to beat him up. But I, listen, he's Moses' older brother. Yeah, Moses has, has assigned him with the responsibility to be his mouthpiece. And for, for the duration of their time together, uh, he's been in this incredible position because Moses, his older brother, is the person he admires more than anybody else. I mean, God speaks to Moses, and, and I'm right hand to Moses. And, 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 and so and when Moses got ready to leave six weeks ago, he left me in charge. And now Moses has come back, and the people are haywire and crazy. And the reason why I'm not assuming responsibility is because I can't face what I think I'm going to look like through his eyes of disappointment. So with them, I just threw it in. Somehow, it just came out. I ain't have nothing to do with it. I don't want to break your heart. I want to mess up how you see me. 
There's a wonderful thing about Jesus who comes and dies on the cross, gets up from the grave. He gives us the ability to be able to own our stuff and know that once we own our stuff, we can be set free. Come on now. Listen, 1 John, here's this, 1 John 8. Put it up there real quick. Uh, 1 John 8, here's what, here's, what, here's what the writer says talking about those of us in relationship with Jesus. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves. Ask the person next to you, are you fooling yourself? And not living in the truth. But, shout but, if we confess our sins, just be honest, own my stuff. To him, to Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Not just mistakes, baby, but sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Watch this next verse. And if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar. Come on now. And showing that his word has no place in our hearts. In other words, we all mess up. We all fall down. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And, 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 and if we can just own our stuff. Say this with me. Say, say, if I own my stuff, with God's help, I can transform it. Oh, you didn't. Come on, come on. Say it again. If I own my stuff, with God's help, I can transform it. Come on now. I can break free of it with his grace, with his forgiveness, with his power, if I'll just own it. Come on now. But this is also true. If I don't own my stuff, come on, say it with me. If I don't own it. It will own me. It own your future. It own your possibilities. The stuff that you won't confess, your shortcomings, that's what I call it. The stuff that keeps cutting you short. It cuts you short in your 20s. It cuts you short in your 40s. It cuts you short in your early, late 50s. Why? Because you haven't owned it. It's owning you. So, shall reset. What I need to do on my stuff. Avoid blaming others in other circumstances. Here's an insight. So often I hear people talk about what's unfair. You know, something go wrong, you focus on the unfairness. Aaron could have said, well, you know, Moses, it was so unfair. They crowded me. They knew what my position was. And I, why did they come to me? How come they didn't go to somebody else? This is so unfair. You know people who always talk about unfair. But, 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 number one, you own your stuff. Number two, you don't avoid, you, you don't blame others or circumstances, right? Number three, you focus on what you can influence. Here's a news flash. The world is unfair. Go figure. Live with it. Tell the person next to you, the world is not fair. What you going to do? Right, focus on the influence. All right, what you can influence. Here's a wonderful thing. I told my thing. I didn't. I, 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 I forgot. I meant to redo this paper. So let's pretend I put it back together. Jesus can walk on water. I can put paper back together. <laughs> so, so on one side of the paper, one fella said this. Whenever he'd mess up and he looks at what he needs to do not to mess up again, takes a piece of paper. He puts on one side. Here are the things that I could influence. I could control. I could, could, I could influence. He makes a list of that. Puts on the other side. Here are the things that were beyond my control. I could not influence. He puts that on the other side. And what he says is he takes, he takes the side that, 
that, that says what I can't cont- control, what I can't influence, he throws that away. And then he focuses on the list of what he could influence. All right, well, because we're believers, I want to step it up a little bit. So here's what I say. When you get the two sides, come on now. Don't throw it away. Pray for this one and wait on God to act. Then pray about this one and do what's in your power to do. You see the difference what I'm saying? Come on now, because we, 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 we're people of faith. Pray and wait. Pray and act. Focus on what you can influence. All right. That's how we reset over against a mindset of excuses that's either driven by what I really think the fear of failure or driven by the fear of making, of assuming responsibility. Own my stuff. Don't blame others. Focus on what you can influence. The second piece as we hustle to a conclusion. The second challenge is this need to be liked or loved by everybody. This is part of what I think is going on with, with, with Aaron. He wants to be fit in, to be liked, to be loved by everyone. Uh, let, me, let me give a couple of insights. Number one, there's a difference between wanting to be liked or loved and needing to be liked or loved. We all want to be liked and loved by everyone. What sets you up for compromise is when you need to be liked or loved by everyone. All right, so that's the first insight. You see the difference? Need versus want. Here's the second newsflash, very important for you to get. I don't care who you are, somebody is not going to like you. I, I, I don't care how good you are. They're not going to like, look at, look at him. He thinks he missed a goody to the shoes. I, I, if you're right-handed, they're not going to like it because you're right-handed. If you're left-handed, they're not going to like it because you're left-handed. If you're, if you're, if you're large, they're not going to like it because you're large. If you're thin, look at her. Look how thin she thinks she is. Come on. Uh, 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 if you're cute, they're not going to like it because you're cute. Come on. Uh, everybody, if you're Republican, they're not going to like it because you're Republican. If you're Democrat, they're not going to like you. If you're black, if you're white, if you're male, somebody's not going to like you. Get with it. Get okay about it. To say, all right, okay, let me help you get okay with it. If the devil doesn't like you, give God some praise. Celebrate that. That's good news. You're doing something right. If the demons do not like you, get excited. Get happy. Stop needing everybody to like you. The Bible says, woe to the man whom everybody speak well of. All right, so uh, how, how, do you, how do you know if you're the kind of person who needs to be liked and loved by everybody? I read a guy who made a post, and he said he realized how his need to be liked and loved forced him into compromise so many times. 
He remembered as a college student because of his need to be liked and loved by his friends, watching his friends mercilessly tease a Down syndrome student. And he sat quietly and did nothing because he needed to be liked. He remembered breaking up with a girlfriend who he really liked because his friends thought she wasn't attractive enough and he needed to be liked. He remembered pulling down a post that he posted of sheer conviction because he got two emails talking about how they were upset and hurt and he pulled down his post, never mind the, the, the 40 who affirmed what he had written because he needed to be liked. Where are you compromising? So, well, I don't know, am I that person? Okay, let's, let's look. The first characteristic of somebody who needs to be liked is, is the inability to say no. You want to say no. You ought to say no. But you just keep saying yes. You say yes so many times that your calendar is full. Half stuff on your calendar things you don't want to do. But you just keep, you just keep, because you need to be like, you just keep saying. Let's see it in the text. In verse 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 32, here's Aaron. Here's what it says. When people saw how long it was taking Moses to come, right? They gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make some gods. These are false gods. Come on. We don't know what happened to Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, come on, say, so Aaron said, yes. That's what the rest of that is. Yes. Aaron knew better. First of all, Aaron knew that Moses didn't bring them out. God, Yahweh, brought them out. Secondly, he knew, why am I making false God? There is but one God. Aaron should have said, no, go find somebody else. I don't care what you're going to do. I'm going to take a stand. No. But he ended up saying, yes. How often do you do that? How often do you say yes to your children when you ought to say no? tell you a quick story my grandmother told me this story years ago you know I was raised by my grand aunt and her sister was my grandmother they partnered on trying to help get me down the right road my grandmother told me a story about something I did remember my early teenage years I wanted to go to some party my grand aunt said absolutely not I went back to her again and she said I done told you once no I went back to her a third time with all the sternness in the world she said, you better get out of my face. <laughs> so I went in the room. I, I, I pitched a fit, obviously not in front of her, in a distant room with the door closed. <laughs> but she heard me. I didn't know it. But she told her sister. And I found out about this years later. She said, she heard me all broken up. And it broke her up so that she was crying having to say no. I thought, what a powerful image. Here's a woman who's so solid on her conviction, so, so clear about her need to not undercut my future with a short-term happiness. You see what I'm saying? That she needed to shape character. She said no, but it hurt her so badly to say no that while I was crying, she was crying. How many of you parents have the courage to say no and cry because of the no rather than to say yes? 
And I thought about God here. And I thought, you know, one of the shortest verses in the Bible is Jesus wept. And it just brought an insight, a theological insight, that, 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 that I realized that, that there are some of us who were praying for God to deliver, to help, to say, to do these different things. And God, for reasons that we don't understand, he said no. But he said no because it has something to do with how he's going to work some stuff out in the future. But in the meantime, it left us brokenhearted. How does it help you to realize that some of the times that God said no, he was weeping right along with you? Wow. Do you have the courage to say no? Shall reset? So here's how you reset very quickly. Uh, here's how you reset. So the next time you find yourself jammed and they need an answer, well, here, just say this. Uh, I'll think about it and get back to you. Rather than a quick answer, I'll think about it. Matter of fact, if you're a believer and you really want to mess them up here in Silicon Valley, say this. Let me think and pray about it and I'll get back to you. That's a little witness right there. Written, is it, written, it's not just my brain. I want to consult somebody. And then go ask yourself, what, what, do I really want to do this? If I don't want to do it, what am, what, what am I, what's my temptation? What am I compromising? And then make a... Shall reset. Secondly, if, do you, am, I, am, I, am I one of these people who need to be like, okay, second reason. If you are, you'll find yourself more times than not straddling the fence. Splitting the differences. One foot over here and one foot over here. It's right there in the text. It's right in the text. Verse 4. Watch uh, verse 5, I believe it is. Uh, 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 yeah, verse 4. Here it is. Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he and I see he got so excited they were, so he, got, he went another extra step. Then he announced, here it is, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord, Yahweh. The God who brought him out of Egypt. So what is he doing? He then melted and built a graven image of a false god. The calf was the image of false gods that was used in that territory. But so, 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 so he took the image of the false god. But now he's trying to dedicate it, come on now, to the true God. So for those who like the false god, he's got a foot over there. They like him. And for those who said, no, I'm worshiping Yahweh, he's got a foot over there. They like him. See, he's, he's trying to split the difference. How many times you just won't give a solid yes or no or I agree or I disagree, but you try to split the difference. God needs God people to be people of conviction. Reset, it means the ability, your, your ability to just say, you know what, I'm going to state my conviction. Last weekend, I, I was uh, in the lobby. And a man walked up to me who I hadn't seen in a while. He's a part of the gay and lesbian community. And he said to me, when I asked him where he's been, he said, he said, well, you preached a message a few years ago. You made the point that theologically and biblically, marriage is designed for a man and a woman. He said, I was offended by that. So I left. He said, but I love this church. So I've been coming back. He said, I love your preaching. He said, so here's the deal. He said, we're just going to agree to disagree on that issue. And when he said that, I opened my arms. I said, welcome back and grabbed them in a hug. Well, what did we just illustrate? Well, you know, it, it takes conviction in this culture 
to say, here's what the Bible says. Here's a theological affirmation that, that I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. And if you, if you don't fall inside it, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says, but I'm going to love you anywho. And it takes conviction for him to say, hey, I disagree with you, Pastor. I love you. I admire you. But I disagree with you on this issue. But I'm not going to let this one issue, come on now, mess up my total relationship with the church and with you. Come on. Well, I, there's too many other things that we can be blessed and, and, and it's a conviction, shout conviction. And that's what happens in a church of diversity. Stop letting one issue, come on, make you run off somewhere. People of conviction and love. And your love ought to be able to hold it together. Then lastly, if you have trouble drawing boundaries, probably mean you need to be you need to be loved and liked by everyone reset just simply assume just say look the time I have is up to me to use it and as I see fit with whom I see fit I won't let other people invade it without a welcome reset well, that's how I want to end today. You know, we're talking about Dr. King, these principles, these principles of being able to say no when everybody else is saying yes, of not straddling the fence, but being people of conviction, even when it's not popular or comfortable. These principles, you see, of being able to draw hard boundaries while still loving these principles. They're at the very heart of Dr. King's what we, what we really celebrate. We, we, we forget the deal. Dr. King died. He was not popular. You see, a year to the day of his death, April the 4th, 1967, he stood up in Riverside Church, a packed audience of 3,000 people. And although all of his advisors had begged him not to do it, all of the people around him had said, Martin, if you do this, you're going to splinter the movement. You're going to make our resources dry up. Please don't do it. Because of a conviction and a need to take a stand. And because he said he, he could no longer be silent anymore. He stood up in Riverside Church and spoke out against the Vietnam War. And he called America and he said America was wrong. And whether you agree or disagree with Dr. King's position, what I want to point out is a year from the date, at the moment he said that, Newspapers ate him alive. His, his, his civil rights colleagues distanced themselves. The president stopped taking this call who he had worked so closely with. He suddenly realized he was isolated. And somebody said, Martin, you've made a mistake. And here's what his word was. Here's what he said. He said, he said, he said the position I took, watch this, was politically unwise, but morally wise. And so, and so when he went down to Memphis to stand with those, those workers, and, uh, sanitation workers, and on the last night before he died, you heard him say these incredible words, like anyone, I want to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will.
And the very next day on April the 4th, one year to the date that he took the stand, he died. April the 4th, 1968. And all the other times, he, 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 he lived through all those attacks. But he died one year after taking the most controversial political charge stand of his career. What does that say? That says that at the end of the day, uh, listen, he was a follower of Jesus, and this is what I love, that if I fully trust Jesus, that there will come a time when I need to be able to say the most important thing in the world to me is I just want to do God's will. And nobody may not like it. You may not agree with me, but that's all right. And even if I lose my life, if I lose my life standing up for a cause that Jesus would stand up for, he'll raise me up in the end. Praise be to God. Self-conviction. And that's what we're celebrating today. Conviction rooted in the faith of a Jesus who always has your back, even in death. Give God a hand, praise.